Good morning, church. Every time I hear that, I want to get up and rap, you know, after several, you know. But anyways, I don't know if that fits my personality, but Pastor Dan wants me to be that cool. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Amen. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, so, you know, I don't want every time we get together to be COVID report, but you guys are aware of what's going on in our state. Just be diligent as you can. Okay. Take care of yourselves. Um, do the social distancing thing and, uh, wear your mask and keep your hands washed. That's all we can do. And trust in the Lord, uh, do your responsibility and then let God take care of the rest of it. And, uh, so we just keep moving forward and, um, I, uh, I'll, I'll try to do everything that, that we can not to be uh, rebellious acting as Christians uh, toward what our governor and our state's trying to do. I try to follow what the scripture says about honoring the leaders and uh, honoring the king and all of that stuff and uh, to be good citizens as best that we can. So I, I don't want our church to appear to be rebellious and like we don't want to listen to you and as if there's some kind of conspiracy going on and all this kind of stuff so um so we're doing our best but but i do want to say this to you we're not going to stop having church okay i just want to tell you so we're not going to do that and um so just take care of yourselves and do your best um if you are uh somebody who's fragile in health just stay further away from us okay um when we say amen run for the door whatever you need to do okay but uh, take care of yourselves and um, and do your best. Pray for one another. And uh, the Lord is still king. He's still on the throne. Now, I want you to get your Bibles. And we're going to go to First Timothy again today. And uh, after this Sunday, I'll take a, a, a couple of Sundays and probably preach from the Psalms. And then uh, we'll be in the Christmas time. And we'll be doing that for a while. And then we won't return to First Timothy until uh, probably January. So um, it'll be uh, about right here is where we'll be done for First, with First Timothy for a little while. Uh, someone once said that everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, I don't know about everything. I, I don't know if it's that universal. Uh, but it is true that uh, if an organization is going to go forward, you have to have good leadership. An organization just doesn't overcome bad leadership. Uh, it just doesn't. And um, we find that in the, the problems that we have in churches today that Many of those problems are due to a failure in leadership and a failure over a long period of time. And it leads to a lot of bad problems in congregations. The church is the only organization that was founded by the Lord Jesus while he was here on earth. He didn't found anything else. Any other, quote, ministries or anything else. He didn't found those. He started the church. Why? Because... The church and its local expressions visibly manifest his character and his power. And so therefore, because he has such a vested interest in it, he has prescribed for us the way church is to be done and also how the church is to be led. His glory is wrapped up in the health of and functioning of the local church. Now we talk a lot these days about revitalizing churches. And uh, I'm on a coaching team to help churches be revitalized and study that. And meet with uh, some guys in the state to talk about how we could help churches and so on and so forth. And by revitalization we mean a church that is biblically faithful. 
and uh, sees the hand of God at work upon that congregation. It's not a numbers thing that you're looking for so much as it is characteristics that you want to see implemented in the congregations. The place to start in returning or revitalizing churches is to return to the biblical model and quality of leadership in the church. I was uh, on a, I'm on a, a team I'm leading in the association as well. I know some of you get mixed up like, which one is it? It's all of them. My wife is even getting mixed up like, is this with the state or is this with the with association? I can't remember which, where you are right now. And uh, sometimes I forget. I think I have felt like I'm getting ready to go the wrong place. I don't know if I'm going to Columbus or Jackson today, so that's, that's what I do. So when you're looking at that, I, I, I was with a team not too long back, and it, it just um, occurred to me what a very low view they have of what the Scripture says about spiritual leaders in the church. And I... Uh, Surprisingly, by a miracle of God, I've I've realized that uh, if God can make a donkey speak, he's also able to make a pastor shut up. And I didn't say anything. I just let them talk. You know, they're all younger than me and no more. And been in ministry a grand total of four years each or something. They know all the answers. And I'm just quiet and listening to them. But I just thought, yes, sir, you can go that route if you want. You can lower the standard and lower the bar. And keep doing that. And you will not see the immediate problems that it brings. But you will eventually see those problems. They will come. And so if you're going to revitalize. If you're going to get energy. The life of God rolling again. Moving again in the life of a church. It really starts with the leadership. You've got to get the leadership right. And you can't compromise leadership. You can't. You just can't do it. So the Bible here. Is, it gives us some clear instruction on this essential issue. And the Bible is, is giving us this through the pen of the Apostle Paul. And so sometimes when I say Paul says, I'm, I'm talking about the immediate author, but we really know it's God that says because God is the ultimate author. He's the one behind the pen that Paul's using. But the Bible here gives us some clear instruction about this essential issue of, of leadership. So let's walk through it. Verses 17 and 18. What you see, first of all, is there must be recognition of honorable elders. There must be recognition of honorable elders. If if you'll notice, this, this whole section here, there are things that are said to the leaders, but the responsibility of this falls on the church. And so if you look, the first thing is the church has to learn how to honor those who serve in the office of elder. To make it an honorable office. So look, look what the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 and 18. These two verses. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it, tra- uh, when it trends, uh, treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. So there must be recognition uh, of honorable elders. Now, their evaluation is in verse 17. And verse 17 says those who rule well, uh, that they are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The word elder, it's synonymous with, that, that means it's used interchangeably in the Bible, with the words 
pastor and overseer or bishop. Uh, some translations have bishop, some overseer, so that, that one word there. So the word elder, the word pastor, the word bishop and overseer, those are used interchangeably in the Bible. And you can see that in Acts chapter 20. And when Paul says here that the elders who rule well and then those who preach and teach, he is not talking about two classes of elders. I know that some churches have, like you have the, the teaching elder and you have the ruling elder and so on, those kinds of people. But the Bible does, that's not what the Bible is really speaking of here. Ruling elders and teaching elders are really the same. It's the same office. What he's pointing out here is there are differences in skill level. There are differences in work ethic. And there are some that pull the major load of doing the teaching and preaching ministry of the church. But all elders are to lead and all elders are to teach and preach. If you're not able to teach and preach, you should not occupy the office of an elder. So this is a, a, a particular office and it is, we're given the qualifications for it in uh, earlier in 1 Timothy in chapter 3. And here we're given the instruction on how to recognize and how to honor those who are doing that work. Now there is a difference here if you look in, in verse 17. Those who labor in preaching and teaching. There is a difference between teaching and preaching by the way. Teaching is aimed more at the mind. And teaching is designed to fight against heresy that again that is against false teaching and so teaching in the church is important and elders must be leaders in doing the teaching it doesn't mean they're the only ones who teach but they should be the leaders in teaching preaching which is also pointed out here ultimately is not aiming for the mind it's aiming for the conscience Preaching is how we fight against sin, our own sin usually. And so these are differences of, uh, of, of uh, function in the office. Both of them must be done. Uh, someone said that, uh, one time said that uh, preaching is pouring it on and teaching is rubbing it in. I don't know if that's how it works or not. But if you look at the differences in these two, where teaching is aimed at the mind and preaching is aimed at the conscience, it will tell you something. Why that there are some Christians and some church members who are willing to come to Sunday school and hear teaching, but scamper out of here like scalded dogs when they're confronted with preaching. Because preaching confronts the conscience of the individual. It's meant to be confrontational. And some people in our day are such snowflakes as Christians that they just are not willing to stand up to it and say, let my conscience be spoken to. And if God moves my conscience, then I will repent of the sin that he is speaking of. Instead, they want to run from it and think they're taking the high road by sneaking out of here uh, with their head ducked down, hoping no one sees them. By the way, we have security cameras. I know who you are. So, yeah, amen. People are okay with information. They just don't want conviction. And I'm telling you, as a Christian, you'll never grow until you experience conviction because of sin. And after you begin to grow, conviction actually becomes sweet to you. You grieve 
but then you're glad, right? You, you may sorrow, but then you repent. And so it, it, conviction is absolutely essential. It's hard to be convicted watching a TV preacher because here's the reason why. When you come down to the bottom, uh, uh, at the end of the program, and you say things like, now, if you would like to be a part of this ministry, we only, only would cost you $19.99 a month. And if you do, we'll send you this cheap Jesus junk gadget that you don't need. Okay? And so, if, you're under, if, you, if you get a conviction, you're not going to do that. Like, Man, I'm turning this guy off. I'm never watching it again. Right? So, that's what happens. So, there, there are differences. And an elder must be willing to do both. Both of those things. Now, also, the Bible tells us that it must be labor. That means to work to the point of exhaustion. They are to labor in preaching and teaching. It makes me sick to see pastors that don't labor in it. I see a guy was uh, uh, contacting me yesterday and about an issue. And uh, he's a pastor. Over and over again, kept time. I thought to myself, son, don't you have something you need to be doing to prepare for tomorrow? I mean, when, when do you have time to do all this stuff? Finally, I just texted him. I said, listen, man, uh, I'll get that later. Uh, I got something on my plate right now. It's called Sunday morning's coming. You know, I mean, th- this is the priority. I, I don't, I mean, what they do in Columbus uh, at, the, at, at the state house, that's a different matter. But what's going on right here, right now on Sunday morning is the priority for the pastor. And it, it, just, it just bugs me to no end to see the, what goes on from the pulpits in our country at the present time. I know for a fact those guys have not labored. I can hear it. So if you're going to take on the office of the elder, you better learn how to work. And you better learn how to work at preaching and teaching. Why? This is how the church is preserved. And this is how sinners are saved. By the teaching and preaching of the word of God. That's how it happens. And you better learn to be good at it. If you're not going to be good at it, don't do it. If you're you're not going to give yourself to it, then just don't pursue it. So their evaluation. How do you evaluate? Then look at their enumeration. It says in verse 18... um, If you look in verse 17, it says they're worthy of double honor. And then verse 18 elaborates on that. The scripture says you should not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the uh, labor deserves his wages. So so their enumeration. They're worthy of double honor. So that's their reward. The reward of elders is double honor. The word honor there is the word from which we get honorarium. And what it means here is their pay. Those who labor... And do the work of preaching and teaching deserve their salary. They deserve to be paid from the gospel ministry. You say, well, the apostle Paul, when he went somewhere, he was a tent maker. And so, yes, he went because he was a missionary and he was working with unsaved people. They don't pay. But if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul quotes this very same statement that we see here from the Old Testament from Deuteronomy. And so the, the pastor is worthy of that. Now I want to say this to our church. Y'all have been very generous. You pay me more than what I'm worth. But you've been very generous. And we're thankful. 
And I'm going to say on behalf of the other staff, they're thankful too. If they're not thankful, I'll talk to them Monday. We're very thankful. We feel like you guys do a great job. But I have all throughout my ministry had people that begrudge it. When I went to Mount Oreb to, to become their pastor, in that little town, there wasn't any place to live. And so Julie and I began to look for houses, and, and everything they had was overpriced. And finally, a, a man in our town who was a Christian man, he came to me and said, Pastor, won't you just let me build you a house? I said, why don't we? And so Jim wrote out the plans. He said, I got plans. You don't even have to pay for the plans. I got them. We'll build, build this house. And so here's what we'll do. And so he began to do it. And uh, we, we tried to work on it there according to our budget, what we could afford, and all of that kind of thing. So we began to build a house. And uh, Jim said, now listen, uh, I, I got to go on vacation. I need to go to Florida for a week and just rest, and then I'll be back. Okay. So Jim had not finished our house yet, and so we were living in a rental house. And so uh, Jim was on vacation, and while he was on vacation, he had an epiphany. He had an epiphany. I don't know if it's not literally one, but he just thought to himself. I want to do something for that pastor. So we went on vacation. He came back. He started building more. And we came back from our vacation. And I went running there, Jim, 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 we didn't, we didn't ask for that. You know, that extra that you're putting on. He goes, no, the Lord just, I feel like he impressed on my heart that you ought to have that. And so he made the house bigger. I don't know about how many square feet, but we had a bonus room where the boys could be and wouldn't bother us. I think that was worth the price. So Jim paid for that. And so God took care of it. But here's the thing about it. Nobody knew all that stuff. But you should have seen the church members coming over there and tromping through our house before it was finished and evaluating everything. And the rumors around town that the pastor had moved up on Snob Knob. Jealous that the pastor had a new house. I didn't know that that was an issue with people. Now, we didn't build the biggest house in town. We felt like it was pretty modest, you know, and just kind of normal. But for some people, it just got under their crawl. We must be paying him too much. Now, that's that church. This church wouldn't do something like that. Well, when I came here, we were living uh, in a double wide uh, and uh, thanks to the generosity of one of our church members, or we wouldn't have had a place to live. And, uh, but the rumors around uh, CBC was, they're moving up to the Yaples. We didn't even know where Yaples was and didn't care. Moving up on Yaples, you know, and there's a big rumor around town. And it wasn't the kind of rumor where people were glad. It was the kind of rumor where they were looking through their beady eyes, you know, what's going on here. And um, so I told my wife, I said, listen, Julie, I don't know where we're going to move, but it won't be Yaples, wherever that is. And so that's the way that works. So, guys, just relax. Okay, it's all good. And uh, if in some way you ever say to me, Pastor, I don't think you're a generous person. I think you and your family are stingy and greedy. Then we need to address that. Okay, but otherwise... Uh, I, a lot of stuff goes through my hands that you don't ever know about to help other people. So just relax. Believe me, I didn't get into the ministry thinking to myself, let's go to Chillicothe, Ohio and see how much we can get out of those people. Okay, it didn't start that way. All right. Uh, but I do want to say to you, y'all have been very generous to us, to my family. We're so grateful and thankful for what you do. 
And, um, and so I, we, we live well. We're thankful for that. I don't have to worry about how to pay my bills. But I have pastor friends that the philosophy of the church in which they're in is, Lord, you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. And they think there's some kind of virtue to have a pastor that's poor. The problem with that is that it flies in the face of Scripture. And Scripture doesn't... If, if What is the most important thing? What is the most important person in your life? It would happen to be me other than your spouse and children. Whoever occupies this office, I'm not talking about me personally, but I'm talking about whoever occupies this office, that's the most... Why? Because they care for your soul. That's an eternal issue. Your banker is going to care, care for your money, and that's going to be gone. Your financial investment person is going to care for that. Your insurance guy, well, he's going to take your money. I don't know if they pay anything out or not. But they're, they, they're going to take care of your insurance stuff. All that's important, but it's for this life. And the person that occupies this office, whomever it may be, their care is for your soul, which is for now and for eternity. It's for all of those things. And so it's an, it's an important thing. And so learn to place the importance on it. And I'm grateful that you as a congregation, you are continuing to do that. And I, I just want to thank you for it. Uh, we've never had to worry about that as far as, as you all are concerned. Now, the reason that you want to do it. Well, the Bible says here, well, uh, if you have an ox that's helping you bring in the harvest, doesn't it make sense that you let the ox eat from the harvest? Otherwise, the ox dies and you don't get a harvest. It just makes sense here. And so if it is true that the care of the animal that enables us to eat, if that, if that care should be done, then how much more should you care for the human that feeds us God's word? Okay, that's kind of it. And so Jesus actually said that. So the thing about the ox and all that. So uh, we, we should heed these words because it's what the scripture says. So that was uncomfortable. And so um, there must be recognition of honorable elders. Now, there also must be from the church and by the church the protection of the office of elders. You have to protect this office. Now look in verses 19 to 21. And it says this. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So remember, Timothy is he's not a very courageous one. I think uh, Timothy is a pastor. He's like, he's like Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. I mean, just always wavering. And, and Paul's always having just kind of just fire him up. Get in there, Timothy. And so he's always having to do that. So here, here he is. Uh, Paul's putting this on him. Now, listen, this is how you got to do. This is how you got to work with the office of elders. And Timothy, you're an elder and you got to do this, but you got to teach your church to do it. He's like, oh boy, oh boy. And so here's what Paul gets. You've got to protect this office. Now, he's, he gives the condition for rebuking an elder. Verse 19 says that. Don't admit a charge against an elder, except if you have the evidence from two or three witnesses. Do not bring charges against an elder. Do not talk down about a pastor. Do not spread gossip about a pastor. Do not say bad things about a pastor. But if you have a charge to bring and you're a witness of a wrong, and you have somebody else that witnessed the wrong, and it's something, it's a grave sin, then you need to bring that to the church leadership. And that pastor, that elder, needs to be rebuked. Okay? That's the way it works. Now, somebody's asked, 
me multiple times. Well, where's your accountability? Well, there you go. How, how do you like that one? My brother-in-law was complaining some time back, you know, he works for a government agency. Well, it's just so uncertain what's going to happen. Oh, 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 and you know, this cry. I said, dude, I'll go up in the pulpit every Sunday with a pink slip in my pocket. I don't know if I'll be back next week. I, who knows what the church will do? Church people can be crazy. Well, here you, 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 gotta, you, you realize, don't be saying things. Don't be saying stuff. You're tearing down the office of the elder, which is actually hurting your own church and hurting the cause of Christ. You should be building that office up. No one has ever claimed that an elder, a pastor, is, is sinlessly perfect. No one has ever made that claim. I don't think anybody expects that to be true. But if you have a real offense that's hurting the cause of Christ, then you go to your deacon. It can't be something like this. I just don't like him. That's not a charge. Okay, that's not a charge. Well, his personality. Well, his sense of humor. Well, the way he wears his hair. I've had that one before. His suits are too expensive. How do you know they weren't given to me? See, it's all of those kinds of things. And people start that kind of stuff. And so you think you're doing something to me. You're not. You're doing something to the office and you're denigrating it. And then you're causing the world out there to have no respect for the office. And therefore they have no respect for the church. Therefore they have no respect for the Lord Jesus. Do you see how that works? So don't do that. But if it's something of substance. if you, I mean if you're a witness of a sin and you have somebody else that has also witnessed that. Then you go to your leadership, and in this case, you go to chairman of deacons, and you could say, Pastor Tim is living in sin. And you tell them about it. And you bring the other person, and if the other person goes, I, no, I don't want to be involved in this, then keep your mouth shut. It must not be that bad. So there is a condition here. You, there, are, there is a time to rebuke elders. You don't get off scot-free. You are accountable for your life. And so there's a condition here. Now look at the description for rebuking. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Why do you do it publicly to an elder? Because their lives are public. You don't get the uh, luxury of private rebuke. It's public. It needs to be known. We've taken care of the matter. You know, you read about sometimes these uh, pastors, you know, they get all messed up in something and and it becomes all public. And the church tries to handle it privately. Do you know why that's wrong? Because the, everybody else is going to handle it publicly. You as a church, you need to just go ahead and make a public statement. We have removed this elder from the office because of persistent sin. End of story. And you move on. That's how it works. Now, here's the question that you have. What if a, an elder repents? Can they remain in the office? It depends on this. Credibility. Has their credibility been so damaged that they cannot recover? You see, because this is not a matter of if a man repents or not. The issue here is his credibility in ministry. And hear me clearly. There are some sins that an elder can commit 
from which he can never recover again. Why? Because he can never regain his credibility. If you have someone who's serving, and we here we usually call pastoral ministry, and someone is serving in some kind of staff role, and they've committed adultery in the past, and it's become public knowledge, can you forgive them? Yes. Can they regain credibility and continue to serve? No. Let me tell you why. The book of Proverbs says about that kind of sin, his disgrace will not be wiped away. Some sins that you can commit will stay on people's minds forever and your credibility will be permanently damaged. So pastors need to beware. You can be forgiven. But you may never regain credibility. That's not being harsh. That's protecting the office of the elder. As a church you have to protect it. Now Timothy's given this exhortation. I solemnly charge you to do these things. <laughs> so, so you have to do this. This is what the scripture says. These are things we have to do. We have to honor the office of the elder, but we also have to protect that office. And we must not let anything ever damage it. It doesn't matter how much we may love someone and like them. Our preference for people and our love for them does not override what the scripture says. Timothy may have been tempted to react in pity for an elder. He may have been tempted to react according to his kindness for an elder or that he preferred or he really liked some person that was an elder but that elder was persisting in sin and what Paul is saying to him is you can like them all that you want it may be your very best friend but the fact of the matter is there's a time when you have to remove them from the office because they're damaging the reputation of Jesus when are we ever going to learn that how Jesus feels about it is more important than how our friend feels about it? Right? That's the most important thing. Now, there must be caution also in selecting elders. And verses 22 to 25 give us this caution, if you'll notice. It says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure, he says to Timothy. And then in parentheses, in most of your translations, he has no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Then back out of parentheses, verse 24, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So there's a caution in selecting elders. And he says, be methodical in this process. Notice he says, don't be hasty. In doing this. Don't do it. And then he says. In the, the, the idea of laying on hands. This is when the elders. Recognize the calling of God. On a man's life. To become an elder in the church. And so there they, are, they lay their hands on him. Not to make him or turn him into an elder. But they are publicly. Validating. and That they see also. The work of God in that man's life. But they say, don't be hasty about this. Why? 
Because if a church is sloppy in its method of choosing elders, it actually participates in the sins that those elders will commit because they're not qualified for the office. It's better to go slow than to go fast. Passing along. See, what what happens is churches will lay their hands on a pastor or a guy and say he's worthy of being a pastor. When he really hasn't met or does not meet the qualifications. And they do it too quickly. They're too anxious to do that kind of thing. And so the man uh, becomes a, a pastor. And then he goes and wreaks havoc on about six or eight churches. And so they don't realize that they share in the sin of that pastor because they stood behind his ordination. When you ordain somebody, you're standing behind that person. Now, that doesn't mean that there's never a time when the man was a good man and he goes off the rails somewhere. That does happen. But from the very beginning, if the person's character is flawed and you put them in this office and just let them go to damage people everywhere, then you share in the sins of that. And this is why Paul says to him, keep yourself pure, Timothy. You have to help the church not to ordain elders that go out and wreck people's lives or else you share in their impurity. You stood behind them. You verified, you testified to the fact that they were worthy of the office. You need to be careful. I'm, I'm you know, we, we have ordination councils sometimes in the area. I rarely get a call to go and be on those. You know why? Because, see, they set the system up where the congregation is out there waiting to come and the, the council to say to the congregation, this man's ready. <clears throat> and so, therefore, they don't give adequate time to even question the guy. They don't want me to ask about his theology. They don't want me to ask about his marriage. They don't want me to ask about any of those things, about how he raises children or anything else. They want to rubber stamp him and put him out there so the church can be proud that they ordained somebody for the first time in a hundred year history. And that's how it works. I, don't, I, don't take, I just don't take part in that. It's a farce. If we're going to be careful about this, we need to meet with him on a different day. And it may very well be we need to say to him, son, we love you, but you're not ready. You're not ready. This task is greater than what you could possibly even imagine. So I I don't get called to those things much anymore because they know what's going to happen when I get there. I'm going to mess the whole thing up. And they already have the cake ordered. and It's in the fellowship hall and everything. So, you know, we just can't be careful about this. We got cake and ice cream back there. So this is an exhortation. Paul says, I solemnly charge you to do this this way and to do it. So there's the caution here to be methodical. Don't be hasty about it. We do this with church members as well. People get real fast about making somebody join the church. We go, man, join the church. And then in two months period of time, they turn out to be the biggest rascal you've ever met in your life. And they're mad at the pastor and they're mad at anything, mad at everybody. They're, you know, just a mess of a person. And then they go on to another church and that pastor calls you from that church. Hey, what do you think about this person? Oh, that'd be great for your church. Oh, yeah. Now, you will notice a pattern here with my leadership as a pastor. 
when the rascals are going to do that, they real quickly want their name removed from the membership roll. Do you know why that is? Because they don't want a pastor calling me and me telling the truth on them. So what are going to do from now on? They're going to say, can you remove my name? Because if they're in rebellion, I'm going, no, we're not going to remove your name. We're going to leave your name on there until I get ready for it to be removed. And when a church decides it'll be removed, then we'll remove it. See, people need to learn something. The church is the authority over you too. You're not the authority over the congregation. And so you want to just swap churches like you change socks? Then okay, that's fine. But when you leave from this church, then people need to know the truth of what they're getting. You need to also do that with ministers. Have you ever seen that before? Where they want to get rid of somebody and they recommend him to another church. Oh, he'll help your church. <laughs> yeah, help them go right in the ditch. And um, so, but people do that. That's, that's how it's done in, in life. And I, I just want to say to you, there is one pastor in town, thank God, that he and I don't do that to each other. But he's the only one. rest of them, they're greedy, man. Hey, just give me people. We don't care what they do or how they are, what they believe. Just give them to me. So I let them have them. Good luck. Be methodical. Be practical. Now, here's what, uh, verse 23. Some of you, this is what's sad to me. Some of you have been waiting for this verse and you don't care about the rest of them. That's just, that's just so sad to me. You're worrying about something trivial and a side issue rather than the main thing. What you're looking at is, I wonder how he's going to handle this. And uh, believe me, beloved, I can handle it. Question is, are you going to be able to handle what I tell you? That's the only question. That's the only thing at stake here on Sunday mornings. Not whether the pastor is going to handle the scripture, but are you going to handle it? So let's just see what. I'm feeling a little squirrely today. Okay, so. All right, so. But Paul, Paul just said, but y'all are more fun than you think you are. So Paul just said, now keep yourself pure. So Timothy was wanting to make sure his testimony is not compromised as an elder pastor. And so he's, he's a teetotaler, right? He's, he doesn't drink wine at all. He doesn't want anybody to accuse him of being a drunkard and, and uh, you know, and a glutton and all that stuff. So he's, he's like, that's what I'm going to do. So in the ancient world, getting what we call potable water, water that you can actually drink that won't kill you, was an issue. Difficult to do. Just think about it. There's no sewer system. There's no water purification system. And so to get a so to get good water was tough. So Timothy's out in Ephesus, and the water is tearing him up. And y'all been to Mexico? Montezuma's revenge is real. I brushed my teeth with that one time. That's all I did. Whoa! I've had bad water in Africa. I will not even tell you about that in publicly, but wow. So bad water is tough. So. Timothy was trying not to compromise his testimony. Well, in, uh, according to Greek medical practices, they believed that wine, a little wine, would settle your stomach. That it would help to cure some of these stomach ailments. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying this. No, you don't want to be addicted to prescription meds. But there is a right way to use medication when you need it. That's what he's saying here. That's all he's saying. If you're a person right now that's looking for a reason to get slobbery drunk this afternoon, this is not your verse. 
Okay, sorry to tell you, this ain't it. What this is saying is, in southern Ohio, you've got to use NyQuil. <clears throat> so you just have to. So there you go. <clears throat> and no, those of you that don't want to use any medication, I know less medication is better. But by God's grace, if we have medication that's going to help us, use it. Use it. It's not a sin against God for you to use it. It's not faithlessness for you to use it. Use the things that are going to help us. Now, <clears throat> some point they're going to have a COVID vaccine come out, right? That's going to happen. Uh, I think we ought to use it, but I want you to go first. <laughs> I got some of you picked out, too. We'll, we'll watch you. All right, so, but medication is helpful. Use the assistance of your doctors and medication that God's provided, but your faith is still in Him. Don't use it wrongly, okay? Don't use it wrongly to become some kind of idiot that's out of control in the world, right? Don't create an addiction for yourself or any of those things. Don't ruin your testimony, any of those kind of things, all right? But he's saying, you've got to help yourself here, buddy. All right, so then be analytical. And so he's back to talking about the office of the elders. So he gives Timothy this uh, verse in 23 is really to him personally. You know, hey, listen, buddy. Okay, so then verses 24, 25, he picks back up. And he, he says this. He's talking about don't appoint elders hastily. And so here's, here's the reason. In verse 24, he says, for some people, their sins are very obvious, conspicuous. You, you can see them clearly. And they will come into the judgment room before the people even get there. So their reputation precedes them is what you might say. And so those are easy. Those people you know, hey, don't. You just don't. Their reputation precedes them. We know they're not worthy of the office. But the sins of others appear later. This is why you have to be careful and you have to go slow. Go slowly. Why? Because for some people, their sins, it takes you a while to figure it out. So don't appoint people quickly to this office. And he says, but also the same about good works. For some people, the good works that they're doing, it's very obvious that they do. But for other people, maybe their good works are not quite as public. So wait and see. And you may find that they're doing more than the one whose works are so public. So be careful about, you know, there is a, a judging that has to be done here. And we don't mean the judging of being harshly critical of people and pharisaical and hypocritical. We're talking about analyzing and evaluating. There's an evaluation that has to be done of the life of a person that's going to be appointed to the office of the elder. And for some people, it's easy to figure. They don't, they don't, they don't qualify. They just don't qualify for this. For other people, you need to wait. Maybe they qualify, but let's wait and see. Let's watch them. Let's see how it goes. For other people, you might say, well, man, their works are great. Okay, so that's easy. For other people think, well, I don't know if they really do that much for the Lord. Wait and see. Maybe they do more than you think. So he's just telling you, be careful in your analysis of people. Be careful. Some people it's easy, but other people it's slower. The saddest thing in all the world, I think, is the fall of an elder or pastor. When they fall into sin. And it destroys people all around them. But also this is sad. That churches have men that are leading their churches or are in the position of leadership. And they may not be living in sin or anything like that. 
But they've been promoted to the office of leadership without leadership ability and without any dedication to the preaching and teaching ministry. If a guy can't preach, he doesn't need to be in the office. What happens when people like that get in the pastoral ministry, it cements the church into a life of ineffectiveness and slumber. Leadership matters. That's the point of this section of scripture. Leadership matters. And I would say for myself personally, I am constantly in pursuit of improving my spiritual biblical leadership. I'm never satisfied, never settled. I always look at things and say, wish I would have done that better. I wish I would have handled that situation better. I wish I would have led more clearly. I wish I would have. And so always looking to how to improve. So everybody has to improve. But uh, beloved, some people just are never going to have the ability. They just can't. They may be the nicest person ever was, but they can't lead. I grew up in a church. We had a pastor like that. He was a really super nice guy. He couldn't lead us to the mailbox and back. The church began to slowly die. He was one of these guys that everybody would say, he just loves everybody. He just had that sweet personality. He did. He was that kind of, that doesn't make him a leader. It doesn't make him a pastor. And the church never recovered from that bad decision the guy was godly he was kind he was jovial could not preach a lick the church died you see humans we tend to gravitate toward the things that make us comfortable and away from that which we actually need And so when we are doing these kinds of things, we're selecting elders, we need to go to the scripture. What does the scripture say? Not what do I want, not what did the church survey tell us, but what does the scripture say? God has the right to tell us what we ought to do, even in the church. He has the right to tell us how to worship. He has a right to tell us how to study the Bible. He has a right to tell us what the leadership ought to be, how it ought to act, and how we ought to choose it. God has a right to all of those things. Now, it may be, and I can't commit myself to following up on this just yet, but it may be that our church needs to look into a plurality of elders. Because what we find in the New Testament is that there always is a plural the elders of the church at Ephesus the elders at the church and so it's always a a plural we don't have one superstar elder and he's the one that attracts everybody from miles around that model is just not workable but it's not biblical either there's no such thing as a king pastor in the New Testament and so I may be the lead But we may at some point want to visit this and say, are we being as biblically faithful as we know how to be according to what the Bible says as far as the leadership is concerned? And so this, I think we need to come back and explore this at the proper time. And so that means when I have time, right, to to get this rolling. But I think we need to study about it, think about it, read the scripture. What does the scripture say? What would that look like for us? The churches that thrive do not thrive because of committee leadership. 
rotation of people in and out of committees. It doesn't thrive that way. It gets bogged down. I've done my very best to kind of streamline it. And some of you serve on committees, you all have helped me like streamline this thing. Let's don't meet 12 times. Let's go one. And so we try to do But we have to realize there is a spiritual calling for some people to lead overall in all things. And so we need to take a look at that. How does the Bible really want the church to be led? And finally this, let me say this. As, as a, a pastor and an and elder called to this ministry, it is my job also to extend the gospel to you. And number one, if you're already saved, you need to hear the gospel just to be reassured. And those of you that are not yet followers of Christ, you need to hear the gospel so that you can be assured. And so here's the gospel in, in a nutshell. God is the king. He gets to make the rules. We've broken them all. We go to hell. And Jesus came to save sinners so they wouldn't have to. That's the gospel. And so here's the issue for you. What do you need to do? How do you need to respond to this? Well, you don't respond by getting better. I'm going to do better. We don't need that. You can't be better. You're dead. You're spiritually dead. You can't do anything good. Not, not, not in order to get you to heaven, right? You can do good things in the community. It makes the community a better place to live. That's all good. That's all well and good. But it doesn't count in eternity. Okay? Nothing's done Godward by dead people. Okay? And so you can't do anything good. What do you need to do? You need to turn away from living a dead life. The life that's committed to self, sin, and Satan. Turn away from that life. Give it up. You need to turn to Jesus. Quit trying to pay for your sins and trust that Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. Trust that he rose from the dead. And now he needs to be the one who takes over your life rather than you living like you used to live as if God barely existed. That's what it means to surrender your heart and life over to Jesus. If you're willing to do that today, we want to invite you to come. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I want you to come to Jesus. Those of you that are already followers of Jesus, that's the gospel message. Won't you tell somebody about it today? And while you're standing there and you're singing, be in prayer about those that you know who are not yet followers of Christ, that God may work in their heart, that they may turn to Jesus and be saved. Let's bow our heads together and let's talk to the Lord for a moment. Father, thank you so much for the instruction of your word. Lord, um, not every single passage of scripture is equally exciting, but they are all are essential. And sometimes, Lord, even the thing like we've studied today about the office of elders, we don't have a lot of hallelujahs to yell out or anything like that. But Lord, you are saving us from ruin. You're saving us from heartache. You're saving us from disaster. You're saving us from the compromise of the testimony of the congregation, which reflects upon Jesus, our Lord. So these things are absolutely essential, and I pray that you'd work in our lives, direct our church, lead our church according to your will and your way, according to your scriptures. Father, where we are not being completely in compliance to what your structure or plan is, I pray that you'd help us to find that. Lord, I also pray for those today whose lives are out of line with Christ. They're living life on their own terms and they need to come to Him and be rescued from the consequences of living that way. I pray for them, Father. You'd work in their lives. Let the Holy Spirit awaken their heart that they may see the glory of Jesus and the treasure that He is. Father, for those who are followers of Christ, some may be walking a distance from You. And sin has entered their life and created a barrier between between them and the Lord that they love. I ask you today to give them the courage 
to confess to you and to repent of that sin that the barrier may be broken down and the fellowship may be returned and be sweet as ever. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.